Hello and welcome to Escape Pod 20, a podcast series celebrating 20 years of Escape Studios, the UK's premier visual effects, animation and games art training and teaching institution. Escape Studios is a rookie certified school, Unreal accredited training centre and also a Houdini certified school, so you know our curriculum is of a high standard. The year is 2018 and I'm happy to introduce to you Alistair Cross. Thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, so you studied with us in uh, 2010 and uh, has gone on to work at Blue Zoo. You've gone on to work at NPC and now at Framestore and you've been at Framestore seven years. Uh, how have you enjoyed your time in the industry so far? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's It's been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, I think like most people starting out, it seems like this very like insurmountable mountain to climb and you're never going to kind of get there. There's so much competition. And um, I think it's a slightly double-edged sword in that sense. Like everybody really wants to be in this industry, which is great because people are really passionate about their work. Um, at the same time, that means it's very competitive, which is great, but also confronting and challenging when you're starting out. Um, but yeah, I've been very fortunate, I suppose, to have, um, obviously went to escape and and um, got a lot out of that and I was working there for a year afterwards um, and sort of freelanced a bit to begin with which was a nice I suppose grounding in all the different types of work you can do um, and then sort of fell into film um, and, and Framestore is just a lovely company to work for and I've just yeah seven years it's kind of weird to hear that out loud but yeah, I guess it has been that long, but it's been like I'm constantly learning here and I really like their ethos and the projects they work on are great. So, I'm, yeah, I'm very happy with it. Lovely. You mentioned that you, you worked at Escape Studios for a year as well as a studio assistant. Uh, so, so what yeah. was that like and what did you learn during that time? That was great. I mean, the, the courses are brilliant. I'm not sure what the format is these days, but when I did my course, it was three months and it was very intense and you're sort of, you know, chewed in and spat out the other end and you've learned loads, but it's hard to kind of digest it all so when I was a studio assistant you're in the classroom um, and you're sort of there I guess you're on hand to help anyone who's who's struggling a bit or who isn't really keeping up with the pace of the class and there's nothing like having to teach someone something to know whether or not you know it yourself um, so I learned so much just by having to know the answers on the spot it was great um, so after a year of that yeah I felt a lot more prepared to go out into the big bad world of visual effects than I would have maybe initially because I, I think I felt at the end of my three months I wasn't the strongest student in the class in terms of my actual work I didn't have loads I was particularly proud of but um, yeah it really solidified everything I'd learned in the, in the course. Lovely and um, then the, the theme of this episode is 2018 so every mm-hmm. uh, every weekly episode we've done of this podcast um, we've centered it around a theme based on how long we've been in production. So 2018 is the, is the theme. So we're going to talk a little bit about Fantastic Beasts, The Crime of Grindelwald, uh, which you worked on as a lighting artist. Yeah. Um, uh, so what were some of the scenes you worked on du- during that production? So my role on that show was, w- one of the biggest scenes we had was in the Ministry of Magic in Paris. Um, trying to remember it now. It was the, the, the chasing with the cats... Um, and the revolving shelves, mm-hmm. and um, and we also had the the zuu or the zawu. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. The sort of lion, fish tail creature. 
<laughs> um, I was running around that whole um, environment as well. So my role, particularly on that, I was doing the look development for the shelves, um, which are these, you know, colossal, they must have been about, you know, 80 or 100 foot tall kind of brass, I guess, record shelves. And they were magic and same way everything in that film is. And they were moving and rotating and sliding and the characters are sort of hanging on to the sides of them and trying to escape these cats. Um, yeah, so it was doing the look development of that to try and make it look like it was real and match what they shot on set. But also, you know, we had the cats running around and the big lion monster jumping on top of them and deforming them. And so there was a lot involved. Um, the environment as well, there was a lot of full CG environments, which we worked closely with that team to sort of tie everything in together. Uh, what were some of the challenges that came up when, when you was working on that sequence? Um, for the shelves, I think I remember it being very painful in the sense that we were really trying to match what they'd shot on set. And it's because there's some very close-ups, close-up shots of the, the shelves and the, the little drawers themselves. And they were quite, you know, they're quite intricately built. Um, so building something that works close up, but also works from a distance in the context of, you know, you have rows and rows and rows of these things was a challenge, um, in terms of sort of keeping the continuity and, and making it look real. Um, but then also when it came to the lighting, trying to make it, I think what was, what I remember a lot of the comments we were having in dailies was trying to make it feel coherent, but not really flat and boring mm. so it sort of, you could feel there was like transitioning between different areas of the room but it was still you're still in this sort of maze of corridors but it looked interesting and um it sort of it, it played to the action that was going on around it that was quite a challenge i remember mm. and what are you quite proud of what you what you accomplished uh through through that film i think um yeah i think it just it it worked well, like obviously with something like Harry Potter, you know so much stuff is CGI because, you know, a lot of the stuff doesn't exist in the real world, but <laughs> yeah. it felt, it felt believable in this, in the context of the the shots. And I think what was nice about the, the those assets in their, in their own right was they, they didn't sort of detract from the main characters or the main hero sort of CGI characters that we did. They were kind of background props, but integral to the scene themselves and they fit in quite nicely and I think we did a good job of making them look look real and, and sort of adding that element of scale to the scene as well. Fantastic. So this industry is ever-changing and, and Escape Studios we've been running now for 20 years, it's our 20th anniversary mm -hmm. and um, so what have you seen noticed in terms of like technology since you studied in 2010 to now? Ooh, good question. Um, I think the biggest thing, or the, well, certainly the first thing that comes to mind, is the the progression of rendering and the mm. shading models that we now use compared to, like when I was studying, it was like a lot of mental ray, and um, it's quite painful to get something out of the box that looked physically plausible. So the whole, the the adapting, well, the, the, the way that the whole under the hood works now with just physically based rendering out of the box you set something up you put some lights in you hit go and you know all the hard work is done for you under the hood which i think is is great because it allows you to focus on you know the artistic side of it the lighting the look rather than having to wrestle with 
underlying mathematics or technical stuff just to get it looking right. I think that's probably been the biggest thing for me. Fantastic. Um, so you've also worked on a number of different films um, whilst you've been at Framestore. Um, and you've worked on uh, Four, Ragnarok, Mowgli, Kingsman, and many more. So what was it like some, working on some of these projects? Um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, they're so different, all of them. Even just the ones you mentioned are vastly, <laughs> vastly different from each other. Um, it's always nice to work on something you know is going to be seen by you know millions of people, I suppose, when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and the challenges are, are varied. Um, you can sometimes spend your time on a project where it's not so much about the lighting, it's more the managing of like dozens and dozens of assets in a shop. How do we actually get it to render without killing the render farm? Um, how do we get it to render so it's not noisy? Um, but then like on, so for example, Mowgli, that was a really fun show because it was very, the scene I worked on was um, in the, when they drag Mowgli into the, the monkey cave and Shere Khan is there and it's really moody, there's caverns and there's sort of beams of light coming in and monkeys with reflective eyes and that was a really nice creative lighting exercise to try and just make it look moody and, and sexy, you know, um, compared to something like Thor, which was really cool visually, but just technically very difficult to get working, I suppose, with just so many assets, so much CGI and effects and everything. Um, yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> yeah, no, I think you answered it well. And, and you mentioned a cool thing about, you know, you know, the, a lighting artist, you know, really creates the, that mood that you're looking for. So in, in Mowgli, mm. you were creating something, you know, that actually, you know, makes the audience feel a certain emotion based on the lighting, which is a really cool skill to have. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's amazing. It's a bit like a soundtrack in the same way. Like you, you might not notice it immediately, but if it's not there or if it's different or, or off, it, it would jar. And I think it's very like lighting as well. It's that kind of uncanny valley uh, syndrome, I suppose, as well, in the same way that if something's lit in a strange way or framed in a strange way, you might not know why it looks wrong, but it does. And it just, it, t- it pulls you out of the story. And I think that's, that's what's really nice about this particular role is, is we get to tell the story and set the mood just using light. Um, and, you know, not every show. Sometimes you're out in a, in a bright midday sun and that's kind of the way it is and there's not much to play with. But when you have the creative license to go and really sort of draw the viewer into where you want them to focus and and how you want them to feel, that, that's really nice. So when you get those projects and you get those sequences, it's great to be able to do some creative stuff on it like that. Yeah. And when you're working on something um, like 4 um, mm-hmm. that's, that's had... Um... Um, real life footage filmed what's some of the challenges then like do you have to try and match what was filmed on on the day yeah i mean that will very much depend on sort of how big a set they built how much we need to replace um if if any um i think what can be challenging about shows like thor is they'll they'll shoot on a on a on a sound stage with a green screen and they'll have it lit usually in a fairly simplistic way i suppose to give room for changes in in post Mm. but often what we put in behind them is this you know vast environment with all sorts of mad stuff going on and lights everywhere and so trying to keep true to the plate but also integrate that into this fantastical environment can be hard Um, and we often end up replacing you know some of what they shot on set just so that we can actually blend those two things together without having a really obvious line 
you know, this is where the set ends and then this is where the CGI begins. So I think for those shows, it, that's probably some of the most challenging, you know, challenging aspects of them. Yeah. And you've now at Framestore worked your way up to Light and Lead, which is fantastic and a huge congratulations uh, on that journey. And um, so Thank what's... You. What's uh, what's the difference between uh, leading uh, and being a lighting lead compared to a lighting artist? What's how's your role changed? Um, yeah, good question. I suppose when you're an artist, you're you, know, you tend to be signed work by your own lead or by whoever's whoever's sort of setting up the sequence, and so you might have like your handful of shots, and you work on the shots, and you very much go in, go deep into them, and you you get each one sort of looking great and signed off and all the rest. Um, as a lead, it's I suppose it's my my role now to ensure that my team is set up in a way that means they can work um, and that they I guess they feel sort of empowered around what they're doing as well. Um, we will often, as leads, will set up like a master light rig to begin with. Um, this can vary from show to show as well, and also who you have on your team. Like I have some really good seniors on my team too, and I can just say, look, here's the sequence. Off you go. Um, but the, I think the main role is just making sure your team is, they're, they're busy, they know what they're doing, they're happy with what they're doing, they're not stuck. Um, but also we do a lot of sort of back, back room kind of admin and, and um, under the hood tinkering to make sure that things are seamless. Like ideally, you would, it kind, of, kind of like what I was saying before about the renderers, like you don't want your artists to be struggling against the system. You want them to be able to build a shot, crack on with the lighting. So a lot of what we do is ensuring that things run smoothly from department to department and that renders go through and they're noise free and, you know, they look the way they're supposed to and fixing all that kind of stuff and making sure sort of, you know, the marionette strings of the whole department really when you're on that show. And, uh, and you've brought up something quite, quite cool there, like when you're working like as a, as a team. So what's it like in terms of the pipeline? Um, are the shots being given to you from a different department and then are you giving them to a different department or how does the pipeline work at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So at Framestore, we have like quite a, quite a rigorous pipeline now, which is great. It's, it's, um, it's very robust is actually probably the word I'm looking for. Um, so what we tend to get from upstream will be from um, either animation or effects or creature effects if they've done sort of jiggle and deformers on characters, that kind of thing. Um, lighting, we're sort of second last in the chain, I suppose. Everything we render goes straight to compositing. Yeah. And then they sort of piece it all back together. Um, and it's it's a fairly good system we have here. You know, everything goes through a, a sort of a quality control check with the CG supervisors and before they sort of get approved and passed on to us. So, you know, most of the time we know that when we someone tells us, can you pick up this shot? You know, it's the latest animation, things have been approved, it's all baked and it should be good to go. Um, so yeah, and there's a lot of back and forth and I think what really helps is having a nice team and a team that communicates well across the departments and you can, you know, jump back to the modelers and say, hey, this is broken or, you know, the animators or whoever's in charge of that. And so there's a lot of back and forth, but yeah, it all, it all sort of flows through quite well for the most part. Lovely. And uh, one of the films you, you was a lighting lead on was Tom and Jerry, which had a really cool style because you had uh, live action actors, but Tom and Jerry actually looked like the, uh, um, their 2D cartoon selves, which was super cool to see in the film. So what was the challenge like there, lighting 
the cartoons as well as the the, the actors. Yeah, that was a real that was a that was a real step out of the, into the unknown. I think for us as a company, particularly, I mean, we're known for sort of our photoreal creatures and all that kind of stuff. Two um, D animation we hadn't done since Despero, I think, and I wasn't even around for that. But what was really interesting about that show was breaking all the rules. I suppose we we did a lot of concepts. We wrote some um, like our our shading team and our our sort of pipeline team wrote lots of plugins for us. We we had um. We, we did lots of tests trying to do this kind of tune shaded look where we still had sort of normal lighting and it would sort of ramp off. But the clients were really clear they wanted the flat look with a little bit of light. So mm. what we ended up doing was we created um, for each character, we had a light rig, which was when you build it, it was parented to the character. It was constrained to the camera. So you'd have that key light behind or, or the rim light behind. So wherever the character moved, the rim light would follow pointing at the camera and we'd always get that nice kind of edge around each character. Mm. Uh, we also developed a, um, a tune node, it was called. So based on the sort of curvature of the characters and the geometry, it would draw, um, they were essentially just sort of ribbons of geometry to, to create the, the, the outlines or the sort of drawn lines on the character that would sort of automatically respond to the animation and the movement. Um, but yeah, it was it was very different. And then you know anything they interacted with was photo real. So they're holding giant hammers, but they looked like realistic hammers. So we had to kind of come up with a way to make it look believable. They're shadowing them in a certain toony way. It was, there was lots and lots of firsts on that show. And you know, it's a, as a movie, I don't you know, it's not going to be winning tons of awards. But it was really fun to work on, and I think it looked quite cool in the end. It was definitely a different project to be. You had to think about it in a totally different way. Yeah, it definitely had a, a really cool visual style, um, which was a great choice for the film. So we've been um, at Escape Shoes for 20 years now, and we're now looking towards the future. So where do you see the industry heading? What do you see changing in the, the, maybe the next five years or so? So I think the big thing, which I'm sure everyone's talking about, is um, the... Oh, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> my God, what's going on? Um, real-time, real-time graphics. Yep. Unreal Engine 5 is, is super cool. Yeah, it's it's coming. It's not, it's not just coming, it's here, you know. Um, we're not really doing anything, like in, in production, in film, it's not something we're using at the moment, but there's, I know we have another sort of division who are doing some stuff with Unreal Engine. Um, it's really exciting, and I think particularly for lighting artists, because one of the things that's the most frustrating in our job is, you know, you... You have a scene, you're lighting your shot, you have to like tweak, 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 render, wait, okay, no. <laughs> and we have IPR stuff as well, you know, which is um, interactive. What does IPR stand for? I should know this. But basically where you sort of, you know, you, you move something and it sort of recalculates the image and you can see it um, much, much quicker than having to just render from scratch. Um, but I think like Unreal Engine, that whole real-time technology is going to totally change I think the sort of feedback loop time, you know, we yeah. could sit in dailies with with a supervisor and say, well, look, I can show you this in real time. Like I can move the light like this. Are you happy with that? Yes. Cool. Great. And then, you know, we'll probably end up feeding that back into our sort of production um, level renderer anyway. But I think as a sort of a bridge between previs and final pixels, it's going to be, it's going to save a lot of time. Um, and I think make it a lot more fun as well. 
um, because you're you feel like you're you're actually crafting in real time rather than sort of sometimes trudging through the slowness of the tech based on what you're rendering as well. So I think yeah, real time stuff is going to be massive. Um, also, USD Universal Scene Description stuff is is a, is in, implemented now in a lot of ways, and I think that's just going to make you know, collaboration between different departments and different companies a lot easier. Um, so I suppose as an overall, you know, look like the, the general consolidation of tech is is exciting and, and I think it's just going to make collaboration much easier and much quicker. Um, what that's going to mean in terms of the visual output of projects we work on, I'm not sure, but I know if, for the doing of it, it's going to make, I think it's going to really transform the experience. It's going to give so much more freedom to the supervisor and the director because they can, as you say, yeah. very quickly say, well, what about if it's here? And you can quickly then get real-time feedback rather than, yeah. all right, we've got to wait for it to render and then we can get some feedback and then we've got to render it again and get feedback. You know, So it is going to improve the, the speed of decisions, the speed of uh, communication, yeah. uh, which is uh, really exciting for the industry as a whole. I would, um, it's, it, you know, a small concern by that might be, you know, uh, it, it could lead to even more of these situations where we have sort of last minute changes and deadlines don't move, which, you know, is an industry wide issue. And I just become, yeah, it will be a concern that with that power comes just more and more changes that you can probably live without. But, you know, I'm not going to. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point to highlight. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. There. You're true. That's that's right. Yeah. Um. And it's amazing the industry at the moment, like how many shows and, uh, and, and mm. films are in production now with the streaming services, um, yeah. you know, more and more streaming services in production. That means more and more films and TV has been in production and, and more work for, for more artists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was chatting to a friend this weekend only um, about this situation if you look back, I don't know, 10, even 15 years, there was, you know, obviously the big studios and then you had sort of Netflix, I suppose. And now you've got those guys, plus, you know, Amazon, Apple, Hulu, mm. you know, it's just new streaming services popping up all the time and loads of content being made, which is great and sort of almost not enough people to do the work. Um, so it is a great time to be in the industry and a great time to be looking for work if you are. Um, but I, I sort of wonder how sustainable that is and, and whether a few of those streaming services will fall away, yeah. how it's going to end up. Um, but for sure, there's plenty plenty to do, which is which is cool, and lots of exciting projects coming in. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so exciting to see one of our alumni uh, go off and have such a successful career and see all the things you're up to now. And thank you for coming back to, uh, to talk to us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. It has been fun and I wish you the best in, in the rest of your career and uh, I look forward to seeing what you're up to. Cheers. <laughs>